Welcome back to the Prize Podcast, where we talk about living out faith in sports and learn what it means to compete for Christ. Fixing our eyes on the eternal prize Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Today, we are blessed to have the Nebraska Kearney head cross country and track and field coach, Brady Bonzel. Welcome, Coach Bonzel. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, we're excited. Coach Bonzel ran at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. He started as a walk-on and then qualified for nationals two times in both cross country and track. For five years out of college, he ran professionally. During this time, he was a middle school math teacher and competed in two Olympic trials. After his running career ended, he coached in Ogallala, Nebraska for six years, and now he's coached at the University of Nebraska Kearney for 14 years. During his time here at UNK, he's been awarded Coach of the Year in both the RMAC and MIAA conferences. Coach, this has been such an impressive career for you, starting out as this walk-on and then ending up going to nationals, going to the Olympic trials, and then coaching for 20 years. Can you give us some insight on what it was like to start as a walk-on and then end up being a two-time national qualifier in both cross-country and track and field? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, during the time that I was in school uh, at UNL, there were a number of people that were going on and being successful who were starting as walk-ons. Usually they were Nebraska high school grads, oftentimes from small towns. Uh, It was pretty common. People that know the history of Nebraska football know that that was very common back in the 80s and 90s, that small town person by their fourth, fifth year would be contributing and and that sort of thing. But it was also happening on the track and field team. And and my college coach, Jay Dirksen, uh, was doing it with small town people from Shelton and Arapahoe and Nebraska City, people that were competing in the Olympic trials and, and such. So as I entered college, I thought it was perfectly reasonable to be someone who was quite possibly the 527th ranked person in the country in his event coming out of high school, <laughs> that it was reasonable for someone like that to become a national qualifier and, and compete in the Olympic trials and, and that sort of thing. So the process was really hard. I've, I've, I've found out over the years, I'm actually not great in handling the growth process. So any transition I've ever had job-wise has always been a little little rough. I kind of like my routine and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's a, probably a whole story into itself, just how, how hard that transition was for a couple of years. Uh, but at, at the same time, I look back on it and it was it was great for me. Yeah, that's awesome. You're talking about how it's just believing and you grew up in a culture where you were able to believe that this was possible for you to be a walk-on and then to end up having a successful career that you ended up having. Were there ever times that you struggled to keep that belief? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And when you talk about the, 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 the culture, the atmosphere you're around, I think the biggest thing I benefited from just on the track team I was on, the athletic department I was on during that era was just the level of expectation that there was and not expectation that was placed upon athletes by coaches. I think that was probably there too and not expectation from the outside, although that was probably there too. It literally was just the expectations of the athletes that I was around and what they really believed that they could accomplish. So in terms of those two years, for me, my faith became really, I guess, serious, authentic, however you want to label it, uh, the summer before my, my uh senior year of high school, so the summer between my junior and senior year. And from a running standpoint, those two years of high school went really well for me. So it was through the experiences of being successful in a sense and sort of the emptiness of that success that God showed me how much I needed him. And I was able to start living that out, learning. My faith was becoming more important. 
But I also think at the same time, competitively, it was easy because I was at a point where I was winning all the time. So I never lost a race my senior year of high school, small town, Nebraska races, that sort of thing. Most of my races were glorified workouts, probably, as I look back on it. I didn't think about it that way at the time, but that's probably what it was. And so it was easy to be growing in Christ and saying that, you know, I'm trying to honor God with what I'm doing. It was a lot harder when then you go off to college and you're kind of a nobody. And I remember getting dead last in the, the second race of my college career. I got dead last. And the thing is, I ran way better in that race than I ever did in high school. <laughs> so it's just that the standard had changed so dramatically. And I think even my probably my second year of college was harder because I was training at a higher level. I was doing more. I was doing it faster. It was probably easier for my body to handle but yet I wasn't performing really any better than I was my freshman year. And sometimes it works that way. Sometimes as, you know, training, I think people see gradual improvements over time. They can just see a trending upwards over time. But performance doesn't always, isn't always that way. Performance a lot of times is more like a little kid that's developing, you know, a, a toddler that's developing. There's these bursts of development and then these long plateaus of staying in the same place. And I think, at least with distance running, it's that way. I think in track and field in general, that's way. And maybe all athletics is like that, that you see this steady improvement from a workout standpoint. But from a performance standpoint, when you go to compete, there are these long periods of plateau. Well, for me, that second year of college was a really long plateau. So spiritually, it was hard at that time because I thought, okay, I'm saying that this is for God. Sort of I'm saying all the right things. I'm, I'm thinking all the right things, but I'm not feeling it. Because who in the world's even paying attention to a person who's dead last in the race? Right. <laughs> and so, so anyway, so that, that was part of when I talked about how the first two, two and a half years of college being hard. Yeah. It was, it literally was mentally and spiritually, how do I approach this race? What's my perspective? If I'm trying to honor God with this, but yet I'm not very good, how does that work? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. You kind of hinted to it a little bit, talking about how your faith started to take off, like your junior or senior year of high school before you left for college. So after hearing about your college athletic story, let's go into a little bit more details about your faith story, and you can just share about how you came to know Christ. Yeah, so I'm the story of the person that starts, you know, that starts their story with, well, I grew up in a Christian home, yep. you know, and so, so going to church was the norm for our family. I think of my mom, she'll tell you that when she really her faith became authentic. So when she came to Christ, or however you want to describe that, it was at a rodeo church service, because I'm from a rodeo family, small town. My dad and his brothers were all rodeo guys. And it was at a rodeo church service, which if you've ever been to those, a lot of times they're very evangelical in nature. You know, they're very, we're going to share, we're going to share, someone's going to share their faith and pray the prayer and, and all of that sort of thing. And it was in a setting like that that my mom became a believer. And so I had a lot of support at home in that area. And so did I accept Jesus into my heart? I hate uh, cliche phrases, but we use them in Christianity right, all the right. time, right? So, so I asked Jesus into my heart or I prayed the prayer, whatever it was, as a little kid, probably first, second grade, I can't remember. But how real was it? I don't know. So people will say, well, when do you become a Christian? And I literally don't know what to tell them. Yeah. I don't know if it was when I was six years old or if it was when I was 17 years old. But I do know that I would spend time in the Word. I would spend time praying. My motivation for doing all of that was completely wrong. It was much more about gaining brownie points with God so that He'll reward me with good athletic performances. Because you could see the ebb and flow of when I would spend time with God had to do with how important the sports were to me at the right. time. 
you know, and so maybe the season that I was in, and, and as I got older and I found out that running was what I was best at, boy, I was pretty consistent about reading the Bible every night before I went to bed, yeah. <laughs> you know, doing my little devotional. Even though I think the motivation in that might have been off, if you really think of it, how many of us are purely 100% on track with our motivation and right. what we do? And so it was through those, and it was actually through having success my junior year in cross country, was which was my first year that I went out in track. It was kind of through having success, but spending some time in the Word that I came across this one devotional that just really impacted me the night that I happened to read it and realized, okay, all these ways that I'm trying to seek satisfaction, at the end of the day, they're all going to be empty. And whether that was through relationships or what I call them, just attaboys, you know. So it didn't matter what it was. I was competitive at it. So as a little kid in elementary school, I had to be the first one done with the worksheet and I had to have the most right, you know. So, and I think that's all right to be competitive, but I was just seeking the praise of others is is basically what I, and and realizing that that is empty and having success athletically doesn't fix every other issue that you have in your life. You know, all those things are still there. And it was through that really that I came to the realization that it was Christ that was going to fill that vacuum that I had. Yeah. That's really powerful, powerful testimony and story. And you're talking about just the emptiness of sport. And I believe it's in second Corinthians where it talks about how we are all these clay jars meant to hold Mm -hmm. something and we're meant to hold the good news of the gospel and meant to be filled and satisfied by Christ. So anything else that we try to find satisfaction in, Mm -hmm. especially as athletes and as coaches in sports, then all of that is going to leave us empty. So the fact that you realize that and then you came to find the fulfillment and satisfaction in Christ is a really powerful story of what Jesus can do in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I And, and, and the thing is, I'm almost 50 years old and I've coached for a while now and I still struggle with it from a coaching standpoint, you know, and, I, and so I oftentimes will think, okay, I know the truth. I know the right perspective to have. And I really struggle at times with kind of just a real performance, outcome-based mentality and everything. And I just think about, uh, you know, what about the person (laughs) who doesn't actually know the truth? I mean, actually, I really, uh, I was even thinking about that this morning with a a couple of people in particular that, man, I just really need to start praying for them because at the end of the day, what we do in the sport of track and field, you know, I... I have a couple of athletes that hate it when I use this, but I'm like, in the grand scheme of life and eternity, that's a phrase I use a lot of times. This big meet we have tomorrow probably doesn't really matter. So I think our our heart matters, like the, the way we approach stuff, our motivation for things, our effort matters. So as I say all that about how the outcome of a track meet or a cross-country meet doesn't matter, it doesn't mean I'm not competitive, and that doesn't right, mean I don't, right. I don't care. I actually have troubles relating at all to the person for whom it's not really important to them. Mm -hmm. So as a coach, the athlete who's kind of there, they're doing it, they like it, you know, they they do kind of work, you know, they work out hard, they train hard, but it's not that important to them. I actually struggle to relate to that person. I'm thinking more the person for whom it's too important to them. Yeah. That's probably who I naturally relate to best. Right. That makes sense. So you're kind of getting into the details of how you've decided to coach for Christ and keep that a priority. Was there a time in your career when you weren't coaching for Christ? Well, so I taught for five years while I was competing. You mentioned that earlier. 
So it was when I moved. I, I did coach one track season, I guess, in Broomfield, Colorado, which I was living out in the Boulder area training. But that was as I was kind of winding my, my running down. And But I kind of think of it like my coaching career probably really started when I moved to Ogallala. And for me, initially, some of the things I was struggling with was the lack of control that I had. Because I was an assistant coach, you know, first-year coach, and that's just kind of how it works. I don't think I'd ever even processed that. I had this vision, this picture of where I wanted things to be 10 years from now, 15 years from now. But again, it was back to just like how I struggled the first couple of years of college with the early stages of the process. I was struggling with that as well. And I think back, I think part of it too, my high school coach by my last couple of years of high school and my college coach by my last couple of years of college, and then the five years I was running out of college, at all those times, I actually had a lot of input into my own training, just what I was doing day in, day out. So with my high school coach, I didn't deviate from his philosophy, but I had just figured out things that I knew my body responded well to within his training paradigm. And he was my homeroom teacher, and, and we would talk about it every Monday, you know, at, at, you know, at homeroom middle of the day with practice being a few hours later. Well, then my college coach and I had a similar relationship by the end. And so as I went into coaching and I didn't have a ton of control uh, and the outcome wasn't always what I wanted, I think those things were a struggle for me. Now, I was a believer. I was sharing Christ with with kids and with, with others, but I was struggling with that. I think during that time, Shane Fruit is who I worked with at that. He was, he was the head coach, and he opened the door wide open for me to come in and be part of his program because it really was just a teaching opening in their district. And my wife and I knew, hey, that might be a good place to move because it was just centrally located between her family and mine, kind of the size of school and community we wanted to be in at the time. But there wasn't actually a coaching opening, so I just contacted Shane, and he he didn't have to do this, but he opened the door wide open for me to come in and be an assistant with him. And he just was very outspoken about his faith. And I think having gone to college, having gone to a bigger college, taught in a bigger school district, moved to another state, taught in another big school district, I think it had become too easy for me to be just kind of a fly under the radar Christian, had my faith, but, you know, where Shane is the opposite of that. And so I think he had, well, I know he had a really big impact on how I do things day in, day out. Yeah. You talked a little bit about the the control and kind of having control as an athlete over your workout and over the outcome. And then once you became a coach, you lost some of that control. So can you talk about the difficulties of that and just not having control over the way that your athletes show up and the way that they compete. Yeah, for sure. You know, because you think as an athlete, there are times that you don't have control. When you're injured, right? you feel like you don't have any control. You think about the last year with COVID. I think that's what rocked so many people was one, the uncertainty, and, and two, the lack of control. So in other words, with the uncertainty, get back to an injury. When, some, when someone's injured, if you could just tell them, hey, you're going to be out for six months, but six months from today, you're going to be good. I think most people would actually take that. Yeah. It's when it's day three of the injury and they don't know if this is a four-day injury or a four-month injury. That uncertainty leads to feeling like you don't have a lot of control. And so, yes, early on in coaching, it was the lack of, really the lack of control over a student's motivation level or how engaged they were the other 22 hours of the day. You know, you always talk about you're an athlete 24 hours a day, not the two hours a day that you're at practice. So what are you doing the other 22 hours? And the crazy thing is I'd been a teacher for five years. I understood students pretty well. I understood how they operated. Somehow I thought when I went to practice 10 minutes after school got out that a switch would be flipped in all of them and, and they would function differently. So 
as an athlete, my response to falling short of my goals was just to work harder. So there were many times, you know, you get to the end of a season and no, how, no matter how much I had improved over the season before, almost always, I'd fall a little bit short of my goal. And I always think of, you know, if you have a basketball tournament and there's 64 teams in it, 63 teams are disappointed yep. when it's done, you know. And when that, that when they walk off the court after the last game, whether the last game was the one with the final two or the last game was a first-round game, there's 63 teams that walk off disappointed. So I think... For me, my response to that as an athlete when I got to the end of the season and there was some disappointment there was just turn around and work harder. And that was the thing that was surprising to me as a coach is that not everybody functions that way. Right. <laughs> and so, so yeah, when you talk about the lack of control, it was, okay, how do I draw that out of them? How do I get them excited about that? And I think that's a daily thing for a coach. And in reality... I have to be careful that my motivation's right in that because it's not because again that's getting back to just a performance based and outcome based mindset. Right. That if my true, authentic, sincere motivation in working with students is to have a long term, eternal impact on them, you're doing it through track and field. That's that's the avenue that you're doing that through. But to draw that out of them athletically, you, you have to have a real impact on them in the non-athletic areas. Right. You're getting into some of the motivation, like the extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation. So has there been ways that you've figured out how to help build that intrinsic motivation in kids so that way they show up and they're ready to compete and they want to compete? Definitely show interest in people in others' area than your sport, I think is yeah. one. I think show concern for them when... Showing concern for someone when they're injured or they're dealing with adversity. And I think honestly, sometimes when you do that, it's maybe others taking notice that you took the time to, to spend with someone who was injured and dealing with stuff. And it's amazing how as a coach, I process a lot of things still as though I was an athlete, you know? And again, sometimes that's why I don't relate to certain yeah. people. <laughs> but my initial response even though I am far from an athlete right now, uh, my initial response to different situations that come up is almost always, I would say, 80% athlete perspective and 20% the coach perspective. And, and it, But when I say the athlete perspective, what my perspective would have been when I was mm -hmm. an athlete. So anyway, I, I don't know that I'm, you know, your question about, you know, drawing that out of them or the extrinsic versus the intrinsic. I don't even know if that I have the the perfect answer for that. I can, I can tell when it's going right. Yeah. I can tell when I've accomplished that, but am I, do I have the, the perfect method down? I don't know that I do. Well, you were even talking about just spending time with them and showing that you care. You care about them outside of just the sport. And I mean, love is the ultimate motivator and those acts that you're talking about, that's the way that you show that you actually do love them and you care about them, not just as an athlete, but also as a person. Yeah. And so the struggles for me and what I do with that, being the head track coach, we have quite a few distance runners. It's just having the time to pay attention to, yeah. to all of them, right? So you hope that you have a culture develop within your team that, you know, it can't be, as a coach, it can't be just you. You know, it has to filter out to other people on the team. And so you maybe have your juniors and your seniors who are helping a freshman along. Uh, be, maybe sometimes helping them understand the process because I, I maybe don't always fully explain it to every single freshman ahead of time, you know, because I think you have to experience. 
the process of the season before anything I say makes sense. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can't give you all the details that you need to know because if you haven't experienced it, you don't you don't fully comprehend it. So again, I think the culture of the team can be helpful. But honestly, you can have the freshman who's having an impact on a senior, depending on what their perspective right. is. Yeah. You can't do it all as a coach, building that culture to where your athletes then in turn right. care for each other and motivate each other. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, I've heard, okay, you know, you, you hear all these different talks about leadership and personality types and all the, you know, there's all these different formulas that are out there. But one thing that I've heard on leadership is, okay, there's three kinds of leaders. You have the visionary out in front, lead the charge, you know, there's this thing we're going to go accomplish that nobody thinks we can accomplish, but that leader sometimes can leave some people behind. Because yeah. if you're not willing to go along with it, you're going you're gonna to get left behind. There's the person that kind of leads from in, in the middle, uh, is more relational, you're trying to you know, build relationships with people and, and bring them along. And you're not out front leading, and, and but, but you can commit time to those relationships. And then you have the person that's sort of leading from behind, and they're kind of the detail person who's not letting anyone slip through the cracks, who's making sure there's no stone left unturned, you have everything planned out and such. And so I sit there and go, okay, now I have to try to be all three. Mm-hmm. And I know at certain times of the year, I'm much more in one area than another and that sort of thing. So amidst all that, still connecting with athletes on an individual level. That's yes. that's the challenge. Yeah. That's really neat that you do that. And then you're intentional about taking the time to do that. When you were sharing about, you started coaching out at Ogallala and you said that mm-hmm. Coach Shane Fruit had this big impact on you because he was very outspoken and bold about his faith. So since coming to UNK and not being around Coach Fruit anymore, how has that continued to have like a long-term impact on you? And what are some of the things that you do now as a Christian coach and some of the ways that you're bold and outspoken because of what Coach Fruit taught you? Sure, yeah. Shane was a big influence because I was doing life with him day day in, day out. I would say a guy like Ron Brown was a big influence because he was in his earlier days of coaching football at UNL back when I was in high school and into college, and I got to know him through FCA, and he was very bold and outspoken in his faith. And then you also had someone like Tom Osborne who was, I think he became, I think I was less than a year old (laughs) when he became the head football coach at UNL and and coached until I was out of college. And and he his faith is also very important to him and has an impact on a lot of people on the same staff as Coach Brown, but very different personalities, very different approaches to all of that. So I think all of them have had sort of a were models for me in, in different ways. I think for me, operating day in, day out here at UNK, for me it, it's sort of this annual cycle I go through where in the summer when I have more time sort of to myself and to reflect and to look ahead to the next year that I can I can get a, a pretty good mindset. I, I can enter the year with the right mindset about things and then things start to get busier and then you start to get further into your competitive season. And for me, my level of busyness through the school year becomes greater and greater and greater and greater all the way to, to the end of the, the outdoor track season. And through that, I think I, because most of what I, most of my tasks that I take on throughout the day are steered, are geared towards something related to our team, you know, recruiting related, setting up travel, setting up training, figuring out what meets we're going to have certain athletes compete in, figuring out which athletes are going to compete maybe at the conference meet and that sort of thing. And so by the end of the year, it's amazing to me how I look back and how, again, results oriented I can become in my thinking 
and then right when the nat- or, you know the season's done and it all just stops. Then about that time, there, there's an FCA distance camp that I help with every summer. I go to that camp, and that's almost like hitting the reset button for me. And then I get the right perspective yeah. again. <laughs> and so, so for me, it is actually kind of a, a yearly challenge. And, and I think, you know, as humans, we all fall into this, that when we encounter the same basic issue at the same time of year in the same location, year after year after year, we just start responding to it in the same way. Yep. So the bad part about those, that cycle, got to break those, those cycles. But one of the things I like in the college setting, you talk about how Shane would have an impact on me about how outspoken he is, is that I am working with adults. And so the conversations I can have with those adults are different. Yeah. Um, you can just talk to, you know, they're, they're able to process things at a different level than, than maybe the younger high school student that, that I was coaching before. I think because I enjoyed that part of my life, you know, the, the college athlete, those years, I feel like I can relate to a lot of the, the students pretty well there because I still like I said, process things a lot of times the way I process things as an athlete. Right. So my college coach, one of the first things he would say, first team meeting every year, one of the first things he would say is, you're an adult until you prove to me otherwise. And honestly, on a college campus, I did a tally chart in a staff meeting once of how many times our student athletes were referred to as kids. And and that is like nails on a chalkboard to me, Yeah. you know. I, I truly believe you're an adult until now. If if you've proved to me otherwise, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's different. <laughs> I can treat you as a kid. That's pretty easy to do. But I think in in many ways. So again, in terms of spiritual conversations with people, right? I think that can be part of treating someone like an adult. Yeah, that's a good perspective to have, and just almost giving that respect to the athletes. You know that you are an adult now, like you have this level of maturity. Mm-hmm. And then being able to have those deeper conversations. So that's really neat. Yep. As a coach, what has been your mission and your purpose? You know, it's easy for me to write down on a piece of paper, which I did this a few times earlier in my career, kind of creating a a mission statement. Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy for me to write down things that sound very eternal, eternally minded and, and very spiritual sounding. And the essence of that is to have an impact on the people that I work with. Right. And and you see this in education. I think of the time that I had a student who was an eighth grader. This was out when I was teaching in Colorado in the Boulder District. I was a middle school teacher, had the student as an eighth grader. Nice kid, did nothing, did nothing. Failed the class, didn't do it. But you know what? It's middle school. Your grades don't matter. You get to go to high school anyway. Two years later, I'm teaching at the high school, and I have him in my freshman algebra one class. Now, keep in mind, I had him in an eighth grader. And two years later, I had right. him in my freshman algebra. Well, there's a reason why he was retaking algebra, because he had continued the same way of doing life his freshman year that he did his eighth grade year. Well, somewhere in there, a switch was flipped, light bulb went off, he grew up, maybe over the summer, and he was mature, responsible, wasn't an A student, but was a B student. That guy's in his mid-30s, you know, probably almost 40 years old at this point in his life, and I have a feeling he's probably doing all right. You know, and I always use him as an example of sometimes we forget it's a process. Right. Things don't change automatically. In in his case, I worked with him for a year, then I didn't work with him for a year, and it was a big enough school district, never even saw the kid. And the thing is, if I had not had him in class again the second time, if that name came up, if I remembered that kid twenty five years later, my picture of him would be who he was as an eighth grader. Mm-hmm. But there was that year that I didn't work with him, then I got to work with him again 
completely different change and you just forget that it's a process. Yeah. And as a coach, you're working with someone, you were with someone for four or five years. That's still for most people is just a very small part of their life, you know, to work with them a couple hours a day for four or five years. So then you see them years later and things have changed and you just, you just realize that the time that you spend with them is important. It's worthy, but it's not when they, when they walk away and, and they're, athletic career is done and you don't work with them again or you don't see them again it's it's not like the process is done you're right. just part of the process right so ultimately just being process oriented and not so focused on the outcomes and absolutely the the performance side of it yeah and that's that's a completely different way than what the way that the world teaches to coach and what a majority of coaches do because that's what we're taught is to focus on the outcome, focus on winning, focus on success. But obviously you, your higher priority and your higher purpose as a coach is to have this impact and then to see them grow and change through this process. Well, yeah, as you say that, you know, you hear the phrase, the process is more important than the outcome. Yeah. The follow-up to that is the process is the outcome. You know, that if that's you understand that if, that if the process and the way that you go about doing things, if, if that's solid... That itself is the outcome. The, the sports stuff, the the results on the scoreboard, whatever. Yeah, that's that's cool too. Right. But and so if you think about your spiritual life, it's not actually what you're doing. A lot of times, it's the heart and the mindset, the attitude you're doing with. So, are you honoring God with what you're doing? Honoring God isn't always necessarily what people see on the outside. I I truly believe you honor God in what you're doing in your job, athletics, relationships. Even if you were operating in a vacuum and it was just you and God, that that the way you're doing things honors God. But since we don't operate in a vacuum and there are people around us and we have relationships with people, what's going on on the inside just merely affects what goes on outside. But it's what's going on on the inside that that actually matters the most. Yeah, absolutely. Just being, being intentional about focusing on that and keeping that as your highest priority. Yeah. So since that's completely different than the way that most people are taught to coach. What have been some of the challenges with being a coach for Christ? Uh, You know, maybe a challenge sometimes would be when my perspective on something doesn't sync up with someone else that I'm working with or working for or something like that. But, But in all honesty, I don't know how much I've actually encountered that over the years. Maybe it's because it's track and cross country and not that many people actually care about what we do, right? (laughs) (laughs) That I don't ever, I don't know that I feel, I think a football coach, a basketball coach, depending on the setting they're in, could feel a lot of external pressure about outcome-based things. And I I don't want to make it sound like I don't feel that, but honestly, the pressure to succeed, perform well, have good outcomes, 95% of that is internal. Yeah. It's, It's pressure that I put on myself to have those good outcomes anyway. So if I'm not putting a tremendous amount of pressure on myself, there, there really isn't as much external there. And I truly, I, I can think of specific instances over the years. I think of one conference track meet went back when we were in the RMAC conference that we should have lost by on paper going into the meet. We should have been 50 points out of first place. And we ended up going into the last event of the meet tied. We won that event. We won the meet. Never should have won it. And I was unaware of what the score was in the meet up until two events before the meet was done. But but I knew we were having a good meet. I knew we were performing well. But literally, it was that coaching without looking at the scoreboard. Right. 
in track, that's actually a lot easier to do than it yes. is in football or basketball, right? So uh, I even think our, I think it was our first or second year in the in the MIAA, our men were second at the conference outdoor meet. And honestly, probably had no business placing that high. But that was another instance where I never had looked at the team scores until pretty late in the meet. I had a little, I think there were two events to go and uh, I was back behind the bleachers and there was a set of results on the board. And I, oh, I, I suppose I should probably look at this. Yeah. And I, oh, wow, <laughs> we're having a really good meet, <laughs> you know? And so uh, when I when I really am not, uh, ha- I, don't, I don't have too much writing on the outcome, I am a far, far, far better coach. Yeah. And that's a really good tangible way to put into practice like being process-minded rather than being so fixed on the outcome i've actually never heard of that before like coaching without looking at the scoreboard but that's right that's so true and that's a really good perspective and that is harder in some other sports because the strategy you're using at that time or some of the little the coaching decisions you make are based on whether you're down by five or up by 20 with a minute and a half to go in the game so so i get that that in a lot of sports you have to Look at those. So, right. so to operate in that mindset of the scoreboard doesn't matter is definitely harder in those. Yes. For me and in, in mine, especially on the tracking of things, cross country is a little different because actually in the middle of the race, I kind of know where we're at. Uh-huh. You know, I, I know just watching the race, I know where we're at place wise. I know if we're having a good race or not. But in track, you, you really can function throughout a meet without knowing the outcome. And, and not that that's always good because sometimes you get done and your team didn't perform yes. very well. But I just think back of some of the times that I functioned my best as a coach and we were getting some of the best performances we've ever had, those were the times that I actually didn't know how we were doing. Yeah, that's really neat to hear. Other than just kind of having this mindset of focusing on the process and focusing on just being present rather than so caught up in the score, what are some other specific ways that you have coached for Christ? You know, again, I think it just comes back to Okay, so a, a time that I felt like I was coaching for Christ in, in the last year, the year of COVID, yes. right? Uh, and not the, not the shutdown because that was different. And that probably, and that impacted spring sport athletes differently than probably it affected some others. Um, and now at the high school level, it was really the spring sport athletes that were by far the most impacted because at least in Nebraska, they came back and they had fall sports. At the college level, you know, here in Division Two, most of us didn't have, you know, we, we sort of had a cross-country season. We got to run a couple meets, but we didn't right. have a cross-country season. The football team got to play a couple games, but they didn't have a football season. Volleyball, soccer, they didn't even get to play till the spring. So that was that was different. But so it, it impacted every sport a little because I would really look at, okay, how much did it affect this person's life? How did it affect this person's season? And depending on what sport you were, it had varying impacts. But to me, if you really care about the, the health and well-being of someone, yes, absolutely, that involves the physical health and well-being when you're dealing with the issues of a, of a virus like COVID and the pandemic. But you're also talking about the mental, spiritual health and well-being. Right. And now, the last year provided a lot of opportunity to have impact, but that, it, that opportunity was challenging at times. Yeah. That I, it was probably good that we didn't have a season in the fall because I don't know if I would have had time to have a season yeah. <laughs> because because uh, there's definitely COVID-related opportunities that came up and just the impact that that had on people. You get your team back together in September when you literally haven't been together in six months. And, and that, you know, that's just, 
that's challenging. That's it's not like you hadn't talked to people in those six months or had interaction. I mean, I had quite a bit of interaction with people during that time, but to actually get the team back together and start doing your daily thing, uh, it was it was different, and yeah. I think that provided a good opportunity. So in those opportunities, uh, were you just focused a lot on building relationships and investing in your kids, or what is that? Or investing in your adults, I should say. What does that What does that look like? <laughs> investing in your adults. Uh, yeah, I think it definitely. Was, but it was it was forced upon you. You had no choice. That's so. So I didn't even have to be intentional about it. Uh, yeah, we were fighting to try to have a, a season because I truly thought we could do it safely, and I truly thought that was in the best interest of the of the students I was working with in in terms of their health and well being. But while it wasn't happening, while there wasn't a season going on, at least you were had you were spending time with him day in day out. Yeah, and. Again, I don't. I don't think it would yet. You know, you always talk about having to be intentional about sharing your faith, intentional about living out your faith. I don't think you even had to be intentional. I think it was just forced upon you. Yeah. So I was th- I was mowing the lawn last night, and I was thinking about the last year and how how well I felt like it actually went. Well, as things gradually migrate back towards more normal. How do you keep that same mindset? Right. You know, because when you because you can so easily and and I and I saw it with a lot of people as things became more normal throughout the school year, and especially as we got into the spring, uh, how much people you know early on people giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Early on, I'll help you out as much as I can. If if you have an opportunity to go do something, I'm going to help you out as much as I can. And it just be, it's I think it's just normal human nature for all of us. We all start sliding back into our our normal for sure ways of functioning and that's not all good yep that's that's good to hear well coach bonds i really appreciate you coming on we're just going to end with one last question of why is it that you coach for christ well at the end of the day there's an eternity (laughs) (laughs) and um if you ever sit in church or at a basketball game or in Walmart and just stop and just look around and see everybody going about doing their thing. You have all these different lives, all these different people doing stuff. And I always just, sometimes I stop and I look around through a crowd of people and just imagine every single one of those bodies is a soul. Yeah. You know? And for me, that's a real perspective so, so if you see me in Walmart and I'm just standing in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the aisle, kind of like gazing off into the distance, like I'm in my own little world, that's probably what I'm yes. thinking about is that every person you come across is a soul with an eternity. And quite frankly, if I hold myself to the standard of, of keeping that in mind with all my interactions, oh, I fail miserably. But I think the more we can think and process things that way, the better it is. Yeah, that's so good. Just keeping that eternal perspective and that eternal mindset and realizing that there there is more beyond this world for all of us. Absolutely. Yep. Well, thank you, Coach Bonzel, for sharing your story and encouraging and inspiring other coaches for Christ. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Prize Podcast. Join us next time to continue learning about competing for Christ. Yeah.